Uh, let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we are set to continue our reflections into chapter 24, this all-important chapter that has us reflecting not only into the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca, but as I noted yesterday and as I will continue to note this evening, uh, a story, a narrative, a chapter that is also very much about God's faithfulness, right? Now, in Genesis 24, we do come to one of the greatest love stories known to man, the blind marriage of Isaac and Rebekah, a wonderful revelation of the sovereign work of God, a revelation that has us constantly asking those all-important questions. You know, how is God going uh, to come through now? And certainly in the light of the promised blessing, what woman will the Lord find for Isaac to further this promise? Uh, how will he overcome the inevitable human stumbling blocks? These are some of the questions we were asking yesterday, and again, questions we ought to be asking today. Now, as I note yesterday, there we talked and addressed that first tension that comes up in chapter 24, verse 5, when Abraham's servant says, uh, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Right? So we explored that tension. And here we pick up with the second point of tension that occurs in chapter 24, verse 21. There we read, Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. Uh, so here, the servant is what but exhibiting caution. He is no doubt in a hurry to get back. However, throughout this narrative, he definitely shows concern for seeking God's will. Seeking God's will is a priority. It is the first thing for him. We see him being sensible, uh, sensitive, and prayerful. He, that is, this unnamed servant, exhibits loyalty, that trusting devotion to God. And here, certainly, we could... Uh, apply this to our own lives, how we are to do the same, how God will guide us, that we are not to act impulsively or impatiently, that we are to move forward in faith and depend on the Lord like this unnamed servant. I love this verse because we read what the man was gazing at her in silence. What was he doing there? That word gaze in just not the Old Testament and antiquity, but also in the New Testament and in the life of the church, is very much that synonym for contemplation. Contemplation is probably best defined as the gaze, where I look at him that is God and God looks back at me. That's what St. John Vianney said. I look at him and he looks back at me. The word uh, contemplation, when you break it down in its Latin contemplatio, uh, best translates as the act of looking at. Well, the act of looking at what? Well, contemplatio, the root there is templum, that which is sacred. So the act of looking at that which is sacred. 
how do we do this? But in silence, right? In silence. Can you possibly contemplate something, reflect into something, pray for someone outside of silence? No. All good contemplation begins in silence. The man was gazing at her in silence. He was seeking to better understand the situation, contemplating it, pondering it, discerning it in silence. And note the gazing at her. He was looking at her. What was sacred about this moment? Well, she was because she was clearly the answer to a prayer. And what he was made to then do is seek to better understand what he was being made to understand in God's infinite wisdom. Now, as it relates to the tension itself, the tension is alleviated with the inquiry and identification of Rebekah. Uh, Moses writes, When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrists, weighing ten shekels in gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed, and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Brothers and sisters, Rebecca's faithfulness is, if nothing else, incredibly impressive. This time, she manifests great generosity and hospitality. Yesterday, we were talking about her servant's heart. Well, that extends into these virtues of generosity and hospitality. Verse 27 points out that God is deliberately behind the scenes, yet clearly directing the acts. The story records no word from God, no miracle, no prophetic oracle. It merely evidences God sovereignly working through the circumstances of those who are acting in faith. Consequently, what do we read? But Abraham's servant bowing down and worshiping God, no doubt overwhelmed by God's providential love, overwhelmed by God's guidance. Brothers and sisters, when God moves in our life, do we respond like the servant responds? Do we prostrate ourselves before the living God? Are we constantly putting the I before the thou or the thou before the I? You know, you have heard me say that um, Sarah might be the most underestimated and undervalued figure in all of the Old Testament. If you're going to argue against that, then you might have a case in Rebecca, who, as we talked about again yesterday and into today, is one who has an extraordinary servant's heart, a servant's heart that is expressed in profound generosity and profound uh, hospitality. All right, now in chapter 24, verses 28 to 33, Rebecca returns home 
and shares everything with her family. Right? She's excited, as any woman would be. Rebecca's brother, Laban, invites the servant in and even offers him food. But in chapter 24, verse 33, when food is set before him, he refuses to eat it until his mission is accomplished. You see, he considers his master's business more important than his pleasure. And I absolutely love that. Here, we could ask the question, do we have this mindset? Is Christ's mission for you more important than your pleasure? If you consider yourself a disciple of Christ, you have to ask this question. Do you consider a Christ's business more important than your pleasure? Now, a third tension arises in this narrative as the servant seeks to obtain the approval of Rebecca's family. My dear friends, Genesis 24 as a whole is an excellent example of the ancient a storyteller's art. What do I mean? In those days, people enjoyed repetition. In fact, they preferred it as they listened to tales or, or read tales. Repetition served multiple purposes. First, it was used in many ways to linger over sights and, and scenes that were especially enthralling or otherwise important. Uh, second, we could say that uh, to repeat a story was to lend additional emphasis wherever necessary. And third, to serve as a memory aid really to the hearers, right? I've talked about that before in relation to our own catechesis today. So far from being signs of inept editing, as some would suggest, or dual authorship, really repetition and duplication were often deliberately employed as effective literary devices. It has been said by some today, and you've heard me say this, that the mother skill of all education is but repetition. Why? Well, for the very reasons that we speak to them now, to linger over those sights and scenes that were especially enthralling, uh, to lend additional emphasis uh, wherever and whenever necessary, and lastly, to serve as a memory aid to the hearers or, or the reader something to be thinking about as it relates to why you might be reading this chapter and you are reading uh, these themes that are being repeated. So in saying that, what are the themes being repeated? Well, first and foremost, <laughs> God's blessings upon Abraham. This is an overarching theme to not only chapter 24, and for that matter, the book of Genesis, but all of sacred scripture, right? Why does St. Paul constantly go back to Abraham? because of the great covenant he established with Abraham, to the great blessing he showered upon Abraham. The second great theme is, of course, the servant's sensitivity and responsiveness to God. And third, of course, how the Lord's providential hand is always working behind the scenes. Now, I say that, and we can say that because we kind of look back on something. You know, we've heard the phrase, hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, if we want to avoid using that phrase in our own spiritual life, desiring that we do the right thing today, that we might look back on today 10 years from now and say, yeah, that was the right thing. I had 20-20 vision in that moment. Well, what did we talk about yesterday? Don't go to prayer as the last resort, but let it be the first thing that you do. 
start what you do with prayer. So, as I reference this, this tension, this third tension, if you will, it is in verses 50 to 54 that this tension is resolved by the family's approval. What do we read there? Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. <laughs> what faithfulness there, huh? I love that. Because the matter comes from God, who am I to say whether it is right or wrong? Great faithfulness. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go, we read. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they arose in the morning, she said, Send me away to my master. Send me away to my master. So again, the servant responds appropriately by bowing to the ground in worship and gratitude. And we should say here that the simple prostration is what but the physical expression of gratitude. Certainly, first and foremost, it is an expression of humility. But in antiquity, it was also a great sign of gratitude. Remember, there is a sacramentality to our bodies. That, that is to say, our bodies communicate a deep inward reality. When we prostrate ourselves to the ground, when we bow low, that is a great sign of humility and gratitude. And how about this last verse that I read there, verse 54? Uh, then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. Celebration, my friends. This wasn't one of those moments of, you know, a, a fixed marriage and a disgruntled, okay, go be on your way. No. There was this deep understanding that the Lord was moving, that God was acting. And for that reason alone, there was cause for merriment. There was cause for joy. And so it is. We read, Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. To eat and to drink in one another's company is really to experience a true fellowship. Certainly, we see this all throughout the Old Testament, but we don't need the Old Testament to remind us of that. We know that, I think, intuitively. Okay, all that being said, there really is another severely tense moment, uh, and it takes place in verses 55 to 57. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10. Afterwards, she may go. So while they celebrated and they were ready to concede, and yes, God has spoken, God is acting, they were still yet holding on just a little, huh? Let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10. Uh, yeah, then she can go, right? But what did he say to them? What do we read? Do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And in a dramatic response, she says, I will go. 
I will go. I believe this to be so powerful. Rebecca demonstrates extraordinary faith in Abraham's God by being decisive, decisively choosing to leave her family to marry Isaac. And certainly, we should take stock in the the simple fact that his invitation to marriage is not an easy choice that, that she is asked to make. What do I mean? Well, just pause and and consider it, right? She is being asked to leave her family and everything familiar to go with a man whom she has just met a day or two before and to marry another man whom she has never seen before. Extraordinary faithfulness. And how about the words, I will go? What do you hear in those words, I will go? Remember, this is a marriage, huh? This whole chapter is about the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. Those words, I will go, in other words, are what? But I do. I do. Yes. I am ready to, to serve my husband at a moment's notice. Yes, I will do whatever is necessary to, to sanctify God's holy purpose. Yes, it doesn't always have to make sense, but I, I will do it because God you have asked me to do it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Christian life is a matter of putting ourselves in the end in the hands of God. The Holy Spirit comes to us and says, will you go with Jesus? Will you go to Jesus? Will you spend the rest of your life in fellowship with him? Abandoning everything that you think you want for the sake of the kingdom of God. Do we respond to those questions with, I will? The best way to know God's will is to say what, but I will, I do. Putting this in the context of marriage, you know, the, the I choose Christ moment, of course, is to put that into action by choosing to serve your spouse. All of this is to be poured into the in God for other moment. Once we understand who the gift is, Jesus Christ and the life of the Trinity, we will better understand what the task is about, bringing people to Jesus Christ and the life of the Trinity. Once we internalize the deeper meaning of the moment before us, we will better understand how to externalize and manifest the power of God in our life. We cannot give what we do not have. We've heard it before. If we want to have qualitative success in our married lives, we have to first understand the quality of who Jesus is and the power of the Holy Spirit, the qualitative power of the Holy Spirit. That, of course, is the love shared between the Father and the Son. Now, after Rebecca's courageous step of faith, Moses records these words in verses 59 to 61. Thus, they sent their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebekah and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. So here we see that the reader... You and I 
have been given three witnesses. Three witnesses to these events. The narrator, the servant, and Laban. The final witness is Rebecca herself, who against the wishes of her brother and her mother, returns with the servant to Isaac right away. She arose and went, just like the Blessed Virgin Mary. She arose and went. Now, as I'm looking at the clock, we're, we're running out of time. I, I did want to consider ever so briefly uh, this final episode, which again is filled with another tension. How will Isaac and Rebecca respond to each other? I mean, maybe you're asking yourself the question, will it be love at first sight? Well, Moses really gives us a play-by-play account, huh? Verse 62 reads, Now Isaac had come from going to Beer Lahiroi, for he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, camels were coming. I love it. There's, there's definitely drama here, right? And behold, camels were coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all things that he had done. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love that. All right, so Bir Laharoi, where Isaac lived and meditated, was a place where God had previously answered prayer, right? If you're to go back into chapter 16, we, we read of that. It is likely then that Isaac was seeking God there, specifically praying to God for his future wife. Rebecca dismounted out of respect for her intended husband. And certainly, as we read carefully, her respect was evident in how she approached him. And I love this final verse. You kind of have a, a hint of romance. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So here we kind of get a sense that uh, Rebekah had taken the place of Sarah in the line of the descendants of Abraham, and she brought comfort to Isaac. Now, when reflecting upon this chapter, my friends, there are certainly numerous points to be had as we have discussed them. I want to just highlight a few quick things as they relate to the whole marriage arena. First and foremost, always put other before self. And don't always worry about finding the right person as much as becoming the right person yourself, okay? Because once we understand that God is first, God will take care of the rest. Practice servanthood in your marriage relationship. Root all that you do in that love commitment. And oh, by the way, if you have children, minister to your children by loving your spouse. I don't know if there's anything greater we can do for our children as parents than witnessing to love itself. Sometimes that can come in just the simple embrace, the simple forgiving embrace. I love the line that was once shared by uh, the young girl when she saw her parents embracing, look, mommy and daddy are loving each other. Sometimes, my friends, 
a simple embrace can go a long, long way. It's part of the witness. Yes, do we need to give of ourselves and all of those concrete actions and, and all those concrete duties of the day? Of course. That's part of what is foundational. But it never, it never excludes the embrace because the embrace is part of that expression. My dear friends, as this chapter is about the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah, it is also a story about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. What do we read in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The word trust is used in the Old Testament in a literal physical sense to physically lean upon something for support. So instead of leaning upon our own ideas, our own ways of thinking, which always come short, lean upon the Lord. The word understanding is always put into the context of God's ways, not our ways. My will be done. How about thy will be done? Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.